director for an arts organization entitled Arts for Life Academy in Clearwater, Florida, St. Pete, Florida, in the Tampa Bay area. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit tax-exempt organization. And this year we are celebrating 25 years of providing services to our youth and uh, adults and community members. And we basically utilize arts to enhance education, uh, promote creativity and diversity, and help our community develop life skills through the cultural and performing arts. So how receptive, receptive, uh, I mean, what kind of uh, arts do you focus on? Well, it's primarily performing arts. We have an after-school program, uh, an Explore the Arts summer camp, which provides an opportunity for youngsters in the community to just be exposed to many different genres of art, whether it's uh, singing or dancing or theater, um, um, music, visual arts. So we provide an opportunity for them to be immersed in those arts art forms in a safe environment, and um, we also couple that with the academic studies and uh, financial literacy, uh, literacy in general, uh, math and science, the science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, adding uh, arts to that, which they now coin as the term STEAM. But um, we try to focus on a holistic method of working with our children um, because there's no one panacea. And when you, um, you know, I've studied in America and I've studied in Africa, 
And one of the things um, that I learned during my studies is the fact that they view the learning process as a holistic process, and you don't take different components out and leave certain elements out, but it's all holistic. And so when you talk about artistry, um, artistry is so important because it provides an opportunity to allow our children and adults to be expressive and totally engaged in, in life. And it provides an opportunity for them to have to use um, many different forms of expression of your mind, your thoughts, and it actually gives you the power of freedom. Um, why did you select creative arts as a tool to try to reach the youth? Well, uh, that goes back to my childhood. You know, my um, my father was very artistic. He was uh, he was an African American, but he spoke Spanish and. He um, he danced, he sang, he was very articulate and, you know, uh, highly educated, and my grandmother was highly artistic, so I grew up in a very diverse community where there was Irish, Italian, um, uh, people from Cuba, people from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, African Americans, Jamaicans, so we were all in the same environment uh, in the early 60s, late 50s. And so we got a chance to be immersed in many different cultures, especially as the children, because, you know, children would all get together, and once we went outside, we would all play and have a good time. But my dad was also very artistic, so he would have us learning uh, various different instruments, and while other kids were kind of outside, we were in studying. Uh, I was the choreographer. My grandmother started me with ballet classes when I was nine. I didn't even know what ballet was. She says, you're going you're gonna to take ballet. So she took me uh, to a school in Newark, the Thompson Dance Studio, and, um, and I studied ballet and became very good at it and was one of the very few, especially in that community of Newark, which they now call Brick City, Concrete Jungle, being in that environment, you know, the children were not taken by, they were not exposed to that. So my grandmother took me to another place. And so when I came back, you know, we were just always immersed in arts. And I know that it helped us to have a very uh, fruitful, happy childhood because we were always singing, dancing, creating productions, uh, communicating with each other and helped us to, um, to have a better understanding of all of our academic subjects as well, you know, all of us were always on the honor roll, and, you know, we um, it was just a very full, robust life, holistic life, by embracing all that uh, the world had to offer for uh, a young African-American from Brick City, the hood, back there in the 50s and 60s. Okay, hold on for one second, Ms. Hesse. Yes, sure. uh, is this uh, Tammy? Yes, I'm on the line. I just got caught up, but I sure am glad that I was able to get on and listen to this wonderful show. Uh, uh, Tammy, this is Ms. Henson. Ms. Henson, this is my co-host, Tammy. Uh, Kasari, Hi, Tammy. How are you? Hey, Ms. Henson, how are you? Good. I'm wonderful. I'm doing good myself. Yes, I was just listening to the about the performing arts and everything, so... I'm I'm still listening. That's great. So, Miss Hitchens, well, tell me, um, mm-hmm. why, um, um, uh, you, you know, historically, 
you know, uh, black artistries, black artists have been involved in their community. Do you think that's so today? Are is black artistry involved in the communities or artists involved in the communities? I just want a little clarity on the question. Yeah. Are black artists like for example, do you find people that that they are good dancers, so you know, dance that ballet, come back to the community and teach teach other girls ballet? Well, um in our community we encourage that and one of the things that, um, you know, that we have found with uh, artistry, especially when you're dealing with grassroots urban artistry, um, it is many of the greatest genres in the world and art forms in the world have been developed and discovered through just the opportunity of having people to uh, express themselves artistically, and it has evolved. Uh, one of the most recent examples, of course, is hip hop. People expressing the conditions of their communities and using poetic verse. You know, they were uh, constantly ostracized in the music industry and not allowed to express themselves. So they created a new art form uh, of of poetry to music, and they thought this was going to be a passing phase. And what is it now? Thirty. 30 years going strong and constantly longer evolving. Longer than that. You're talking about 1972, 1971, so it's been longer than that. <laughs> it's been a long time. But many people, when they first they said, oh, this is going to be a passing fad. But no, many of the conditions mm-hmm. still exist, and many of the people are using their music, their art form, their talent, their poetic verse, their knowledge, their memory, their prose, to express themselves. You have jazz, we had spirituals, we had gospel, we have so many different uh, uh, blues, we have so many different things that we've contributed to society and we constantly evolve and we constantly contribute because of our ability to, no matter what situation we're in, we use the arts as a, as a platform to express ourselves, to communicate. And when you go back into Africa, when I first started studying African dance, that was one of the first things we learned about the community and how that was the one element that kept the community together. They used song and music and dance and folklore for everything in life. When they communicated um, about what was about to happen, when they communicated about history, when the jollies would come in and settle disputes and or when they would talk about the roles of the children, the roles of the adults, the roles of the elders, when they would talk about these things, the history of the ancestry since the beginning of time, all of these things were encompassed in and expressed through music and song and dance and folklore. And it's a natural element for African Americans through our heritage. A lot of it has been was taken away, of course, as we know, during the event of slavery. But through constant research and constant communication, um, much of that information is coming back, and we're still using that as a platform to grow, develop, and to tell the story. And that's the way we've always told the story. So it's important to keep that uh, legacy going on, to keep those art forms going on. And we encourage all of our children, everything they are learning through our organization, they're getting free. You get free, you give free. So when you go off to Broadway and you're in films in Hollywood and you're uh, dancing with ABT, American Ballet Theater, and you're doing all these things, 
never forget to return back from which you came, the place that laid the platform and made it possible for you to nurture and grow and be who you are. Never forget those things. So these are adages and things that we constantly promote and encourage our youngsters to remember. And as a result, it, it, it strengthens our organization, and we're, we're constantly evolving and growing, and we're, we have youngsters all around this world performing and, and communicating with each other and inspiring each other. So it is an absolutely wonderful thing to be a part of. Wow, that is awesome. That is awesome. I, I am very, like, in, intrigued. Is there any way that anyone who wants to donate can donate? Can you give us that information, how to support your organization, if we want to get any um, donations out to what, you know, the cause? Because what you guys are doing is absolutely wonderful. So if you guys, if you have a, a link or any or a website anyone can go to to link you um, in your organization and be able to donate? Our website is uh, www.artsforlife, A-R-T-Z, the number four, the word life, Arts for Life Academy. Uh, well, the, the website is www.artsforlife.org. And okay. if you want to communicate with me, it's Jay Henson at artsforlife.org. And it's spelled J A I. H I N S I think that's absolutely wonderful to be able to get the kids going back to their roots and know what their roots are because that builds confidence. That builds so much strength within them as an individual. And we need to strengthen our youth because and our children because if they know where they're coming from, they know some you know some um, history about themselves and through art, through dance, and even through education. That that is just Awesome what you guys are doing. Awesome. Well, and the, other, the, other, the other component to that is we have to remember and understand that we are being educated by the same system that took our history away from us. Mm-hmm. So you cannot sit back and expect them to give you the, the history they took away. John Henry Clark in The, the Greatest the Long and Mighty Walk he even indicated that when he talked to his teachers and, you know, they were talking about history, he says, well, tell me, I want to know about my history. And his teacher looked at him and said, you have none. You don't have any history. And so he said, I don't have any history. He said, no, you don't have any history. So, you know, we have to be cognizant of those things and make sure that we make a concerted effort to provide those venues and opportunities to educate our children and teach them the things they need to know. And that's one of the things we are able to do in the after-school program and our summer camp. We educate our children and the parents because many of the parents, they don't know where to begin. I went all the way through school, and I didn't really learn anything about African history until college. When I took the African history class, and people were like, why do you want to take that? You're African-American. You don't need to take a course in it. But when wow. I took the course, I learned about W.B. Du Bois. I learned about Carter G. Woodson. I learned about Louis Latimer, who they're trying to remove out of the history books now and his part and the, the, the ability for us to turn on the light for it to stay on. And, you know, just so many different things in Washington, D.C., and Benjamin Banneker and Creighton Clark and the Dogon people and how the time, how they were able to know how to uh, plant for seasons because of the information that they had. I mean, there's just so much information. It is oozing. African, the African influence is all around the world, and we, 
We've done so many different things, and there's so much history and information to validate and justify. This country would not be a country had it not been for African king sanctioning, or the king of the Moors sanctioning that they could be a country. And the Moors right now um, are in a position where, uh, according to the first treaty of this country, if you are a Moor, this country has no jurisdiction over you legally because that was part mm-hmm. of the treaty agreement. You know, these are the kinds of things. I, I, said, I said to the kids, did you know that? They said, I've never heard that in my life before. There's a mm-hmm. lot of things you need to learn. And, we need, and we're here to teach you these things because when they go to the schools, and they're being told that they're monkeys and they have no history and they're slaves. Mm-hmm. No, they were Africans who were doctors and, and engineers and iron smelters and agriculturalists and um, all these people with all of these skills. They were people that were brought here and made into a, a, and, and made to work in a system of slavery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, captives Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they need to mm-hmm. understand. We are the ones that have to teach it. So no more sit yep. back. When you go to the, to the Jew, I, I, I teach at Jewish schools all the time, and they have a whole curriculum to make sure that those kids understand the history. So you can't walk up to them and just say, oh, you're not uh, of this origin. You're, you're an ex-slave. Well, they, and they can tell you their history about who, who and contributions they've made and the stuff that they've done and responsible for and the whole nine. Our children need to be able to do the same. And you're not going to get it from the school systems that they're in right now. No, the school system, is a, in my opinion, the school system is a sham. It's, it's, it's only there to train our children on how to work for corporations and basically get them ready for the, the school-to-prison, like I believe it's a school-to-prison kind of type pipeline. And so that's why it's very important that we educate our children at home, that we have these community services like the ones that you guys, are, that you guys have right now, like, um, and educate our children so we do not totally rely on this educational system because we're going to lose our kids if we do. Another thing, too, is when I went to Africa, one of the things I saw, you know, they don't have a lot of jobs over there. But everybody was working because they yeah, had opportunities yeah. that they created for themselves. And, you know, you'll see when many of them come to this country, they have difficulty punching in the clock and, you know, doing that whole corporate thing. Many of them, they know to go to vendors, they'll get their wares, they'll sell their wares, and they'll have their businesses right where they are. And so it's a different mindset when you are thinking about opportunities as opposed to working for somebody. Because as we get economically tighter in this country, we are not going to be getting the jobs. You're saying we need to create. Yes, you have to create the opportunities, and we have enough wealth to establish our own businesses, but we have to come together and stop having separatist uh, ideas and, you know, I'm on this side, you're on that side, because when they get ready to actually shoot people down, we all look the same. Absolutely, and and that's one thing that I love that you just said about being, you know, having these separate ideas. It, I mean, it's okay to be different, but when it when we need to, you know, raise our children and create businesses and create opportunities for ourselves, we need to be able to come together and do that as one. Just like you know, the other races, they don't have a problem with doing that, but we, for some reason, we let our differences separate us, you know, and we, well, we ought been, not do we that. Been, we need we to stop doing that. Yeah. Well, we've been conditioned and trained to do that. Yes, yes. We need to stop doing no, we that. Have we, to have to, we have to retrain ourselves. ourselves. Yeah. 
you know, to work with each other and to not be in competition. Lots of times, you know, they'll have they'll have a, a half a million dollars and they'll say, okay, fight over it. You know, well, and they'll make mm-hmm. you separate, divide. But you know, we have to move beyond that and come together. And you know, oftentimes with with different agencies in the community, I'll go and sit down. Let's have a conversation about how we can take our parents, our children, and we could do an activity where you can have your parents and your children, and we could all do something together to strengthen ourselves and to you know, not just for Af- African Americans, but with other cultures as well. We get together with the Hispanic culture. All the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. We're all so indigenous. Yes. And so mm-hmm. um, kinds of initiatives that, you know, will help to uh, bring unity and um, more organization to the communities. I love what you guys yeah. are doing. It kind of reminds me, oh, I'm sorry, Kenneth. I wanted to ask her, I wanted to ask you about um, Madam C.J. Walker. I know that you know, it's it's a long time now, but she she established a theater in New York as well, didn't she? Or in San well, in Chicago. Well, Madam C.J. Walker, she was one of the first um, uh, millionaires because of her astuteness towards business. And as a matter of fact, she had one of her major places right in Newark, New Jersey, um, mm-hmm. uh, where I originally grew up, and uh, the Budweiser had a factory there, and underneath the the, the his his mansion, he had an uh, underground tunnel that went from the mansion all the way to the uh, the factory. So he never even had to come out on the streets and be seen. Madam C.J. Walker had been purchased all of them and started her business, and so she had um, a magnificent business acumen. I think she did the straightening call and she started doing products for yes. African-Americans hair. So, you know, she was one of the first entrepreneurs and, you know, she had that foresight and the courage to get out there and to, and to, and to do business. And, you know, many people supported her and those are the kinds of uh, models that we need to remember, be aware of and support and emulate. Yeah, she was a philanthropist, and she also um, opened up a, a performing arts school as well. Well, you know, um, and, and that's a beautiful thing because performing mm-hmm. arts is the way, again, it's one of the ways that we have always communicated, expressed ourselves, become strengthened, uh, and and grown and developed by ourselves. That's, it's part mm-hmm. of our, our nature and our culture and our heritage. And when you go, when you see a lot of the systems now, you know, they say, hey, no talking, just sit down, uh, no dancing, no moving around. And it's totally against their nature, their natural element. We make sure at our center, our children have, yeah, we want to get into the academics. We'll have music because the different types of music evoke different types of feelings. And so we'll have music that they can concentrate by. We have them engaged in many different things so that their mind is constantly being challenged and stimulated and um, encouraged to, to learn more. Yeah, Ms. Hitson, let me ask you something. After you provide this information to the youth about their culture, about their history, do you see a change in their behavior or it's just the students that, that, that are there that want to be there? Well, all of the above, we definitely see a change in the behavior. Um, the children are so happy to know that they're beautiful, that they're intelligent, 
that they come from such a rich history and legacy. It makes them proud. Now they want to learn. They don't mind reading now. They don't mind knowing that they can become, they're inspired by the fact, knowing that they can become an astrologer or an astronaut or a physician or a medical doctor because these things have been done over and over and over again since ancient times. And so they have pride in themselves. As a matter of fact, when we go into other communities, not only do we notice it, but when we go places, and mm-hmm. they're out in public. Other people say, my goodness, who are these children and where do they come from? How do you keep them so in line? It's amazing to see them all performing and sing. It's amazing to see them so articulate and so well-mannered, you know. But all that comes from the training before. We let them know. People, people, people will say things about you and to you, but you don't have to act that way or answer to that way. Know who you are. And always represent who you are and where you came from. And so we we constantly um, reinforce the concept and idea. And so all of them, you know, they they come. They are extremely disciplined. They're children. They gonna run around and and play and different things. But we have we have different terminology that we use. Uh, our cultural cultural words, like for example, when the children are doing activities and one of the elders come in. We use a, a ancient Ghanaian um, uh, comments. We'll say "I go," and, and the whole room, the, all the children will say "I may," and the whole room goes silent. And everybody's just in awe. Oh, what did you say to those kids to make them get in control like that? We've been in places where they'll say, "Everybody, be quiet. Everybody, stop." Everybody hush. They may talk to these kids like six, seven times to try to get them quiet. Then they'll blow whistles. They'll clap their hands. They'll do all these different things. We'll walk in the room. We say, I go. They say, I may. Oh, here, pin drop. Because we teach the, the, the significance of those words and what it means and why it was constructed and how you're supposed to respond when you hear those things. And so, you know, when they talk about, oh, these kids are out of control, well, they, they, they act the way you allow them to act. So, you know, when you so begin to understand, do you feel that the educational system, of course, if you ask the average uh, chancellor or superintendent of schools anywhere in this country, they say that our youth are really having difficulty functioning. Or, or, and uh, do you think with the inclusion Making most of these curriculums in predominantly black schools, high school, junior high schools, and elementary schools uh, 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 across this nation, do you think that having a culture awareness component to their curriculum can, uh, for first you got to train the instructors, because half of them probably don't know what cultural awareness is, if it came up and had been had, but what I'm saying is uh, if they included that uh, 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 cultural awareness and peace in your curriculum, do you think that will have an impact on our kids' behavior and attitudes? Absolutely, overnight. It'll change mm-hmm. overnight. Overnight. Mm-hmm. So, and you won't have to be giving them Ritalin and giving them all these chemicals right. that is constantly altering their brain. There won't be a need for special ed. Special ed is there's not a test that you can – Take to see if someone uh, is spe- uh, uh, mentally uh, distraught. 
most of the times when they are assigning those people those titles, it's their own personal opinion. And so mm-hmm. they could be upset at a kid and say, you know, this kid has some learning disabilities. We're going to recommend special ed. Sign on this line, Mom, and, and we'll, you'll get a check. We'll give you some medicine for him, and, you know, we'll take care of everything. Not to mention they get uh, thousands of dollars for each kid that they send into the special ed program. So it's all a part of the institutionalization. I mean, you have examples across this nation where um, doing it the old way is working. You have Harlem Children's Zone. They're doing an incredible job out there. You have schools. Yeah, I know about Harlem Children's Zone, yeah. Yeah, there's schools all across the nation that have, you know, they have have abandoned this institutionalized um, slavery because they are training them and preparing them to go into the the new slavery penal system where they can keep them locked mm. up and profit from it. You know, everybody knows what's right. going on, but there's nothing's being done about it. So, you know, you have to take control yourself, and you can't ask them for freedom, and you can't because that is yours to have. When you ask them somebody for it, then that means then they have the power. So, you know, it's people like, um, exactly. uh, you know, it, it's people out here that have said, hey, um, we're going we're gonna to turn around, we're going to do it the right way. And so they are taking the initiative, and those schools, hey, why don't we take that model and put it across the country and see what happens? Well, they're not going to do that because then it's going to eliminate all that special ed money. The pharmaceutical industry is going to get upset, all the pills that they pumping down these kids. These kids actually, um, after they're on that medication for five, six, seven, going into 10 years, they begin to lose the ability between the connection of their brain and their bodily functions. They begin to urinate on themselves. They begin to have all kinds of accidents. And when you take it off, take them off of it, their minds are so ruined and riddled with all these chemicals. They're doing things like just shooting people, walking up and, you know, so a lot of the things that we're seeing as a result of these pharmaceutical industries profiting and the school systems and the um, administrators promoting this and perpetuating this along with the penal system and everybody's sitting around shaking hands and having a nice party because they're they're ensuring that they can have their jobs and they can, you know, uh, they'll do well, but they're, they're, they're sacrificing our children. And so we need to put um, a stop to that. Mm-hmm. We need to put a stop to it, and, and we need to get our kids off this medication and start educating them. And once they become aware of who they are, I tell the kids all the time, I say they want you to think that you're supposed to act wild and crazy. But when you research your history, mm-hmm. you are descendants of kings and queens and some of the most disciplined cultures in the world. That existed for thousands of years. We've only been here 400 years and about to tear this whole world up. <laughs> so how are the Seriously. parents receptive to 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 these new teachers? I know some of the kids got to go home and tell their parents because there are a lot of parents that really don't know about their culture. How are the parents are receptive to this? They are extremely receptive. They say when we do different programs, they say, "Oh, it's over. When are you going to do it again? We want some more." And then we constantly work with the school systems. We'll go to the school. If a child, if a child comes to us and say they're having a problem with a teacher and, and, or they're having problems, I think it was, uh, what case was it? It was the Zimmerman case. And, uh, was it, and um, what was the young man's name? Uh, Trayvon Martin. And, and Trayvon Martin. 
Right, Trayvon Martin and these women, boy. Okay, so uh, one of the teachers had this thing that on the on the news in the morning, and she says, "Well, you know, he he got what he deserved." Talking about Trayvon mm-hmm. Martin, so they came, mm-hmm. so the kids came to us and they said, "You know, oh, we, no. was kinda, we was kind of we was kind of we felt upset about what." The teacher said, because this is not how we feel, and this is not how our parents feel, and when we're at home talking, that's not what we say. But when you get to school, the teacher is, is talking to the white students and saying, well, you know, he, he got what he deserved, and he shouldn't have, mm-hmm. you know. He, he shouldn't act this way. So we said, oh, really? Well, the teacher was mad that said that. And so we told him, so we called the principal and asked, said, we need you to come over to the school. And we need the children to sit here, and I wanted them to be in an environment where they felt confident and comfortable. And we need our children to express how they felt about this teacher and so uh, and about what the teacher said and why they felt that way. And so the principal came over, and so it was, uh, they had a platform to express themselves. They were articulate, respectful, and they expressed themselves in a very orderly manner. And we were there as surrogate parents. You know, looking out for the children, and the principal went back and had a conference with that teacher, and that teacher wound up leaving the school system. But we have to, um, we have to hold um, this kind of behavior uh, to task, and not be in the and be in the position where our children feel comfortable coming to us because the parents are at work. And nine times out of ten, you know, they not even call the parents for stuff. So we uh, we work with our parents, and if we have to step in, we get permission from the parents to go and check on the child, make sure everything's okay. If you're having a problem with this child, bring them here to us. We'll work with them and the parents to keep them from sending the SRO officer to get the kid and take them to jail. They are banking asking five and six and seven-year-old kids, and this this. That stuff is following them for the rest of their lives. So when they when they move them in the in the prison system, they say, well, you know, they had a uh, psychological issue. They've been Baker Act before, so that justifies our treatment of them. So you know, we have to be aware and cognizant of these different traps. We have to be proactive about taking care of our children and, and having the power to make a difference and not waiting for people to see it and say it's okay and now it's time to do it. You already know it's time to do it. Spend time. Spend uh, time. What you guys question. are doing is great. I have another well, question. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, do you feel historically, you know, we have uh, – we had Paul Robeson, James Baldwin, uh, the guy from um, from Newark that changed his name. Um, he was a poet. Now he's at Temple. Um, his son is the uh, mayor of Newark now. So, Mama um, Baraka. Yes. Mama Baraka. Yes. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, his son is um, uh, uh, a mayor now. Uh, the right. father teaches at Temple. Um, mm-hmm. How can we, you know, how can we as a community uh, uh, or the creative arts community, the black creative arts community, rally around? I know one, you know, we have pockets, but it's not like a voice that were, I guess, in the, uh, 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 the Black Panthers, the Civil Rights Movement, you know, 
Uh, we have a lot of those voices speaking now. How can we motivate the black arts community to get involved? Because I don't see too many of them. Or are they not being exposed? Well, that's a several-pronged question because, um, you know, first, before before everything else, people are people. And um, there are people that are conscious, and there are people that are not. And so, um, and the ones that are not, you know, we have to make a concerted effort to bring them into the system and explain to them the importance of their support with what we're doing and, uh, and continue to uh, strive for excellence. Like we have, we have a production called The Family Blessing that we put on every year. Um, it used to be, it's a spin-off from a production we used to do called Chocolate Nut Concert. And so this will be our 19th year. Just in case anybody wants to know and you want to get out of the cold in December, you can come down to Florida December 17th and uh, see an incredible production uh, that is presented by the community youth, about a couple hundred youth in the community that we train for 12 weeks. We bring in professional choreographers from Los Angeles and New York and Miami, and we bring them all in. We work with the youngsters. We use this project as an internship for uh, youngsters in the performing arts um, schools, and it's a grassroots thing, So, and the parents are in it, the grandparents are in it, and it's a, a story that helps us to understand the importance of family and knowing that we are all family. We are all human beings. That's powerful. And like That's very really powerful. Relatives, blood makes us relatives. Our loyalty and support of each other makes us family. So mm-hmm. we use this. We use this program to present to the community every year, and it is just people are just blown away when they come and they see children performing on this level. And it's the story of Grandma Zola who has been all around the world, and she's worked with um, people from all around the world, and she has a grandson that uh, becomes troubled in his life, and he's, he's not having, he's not being inspired by the community that he's in, and he's worried that, you know, he's going to be homeless, and he's worrying about all these things, and Grandma Zola said, don't worry about any of that. You need to know that we're all family, and as long as we care about each other, we show love for each other, you will always be okay. You will always have family. And so he goes to sleep, and he's having this dream sequence where he's going through many different foods and experiences. He goes through um, uh, uh, the park with the other children. Then he's going through, in his dream sequence, he's being taken off into faraway places and he goes to Bollywood, and then he's being chased by these people that's trying to hold him back, but he bursts through that, and then he goes and he sees his family, his Native American Indian families. He sees his family from Bollywood. He sees his family from Cuba. He sees family from Africa and all these different places, and each time you have people that are coming and embracing him and showing him love, and he wakes up, and he sees Grandma Zola. He says, you were right. We are all family. It's a Fantastic production. Wow. Oh, what day is that? What, what day is that, Miss Simpson? December 17th. And it's in St. Petersburg, Florida. 
at the Mahaffey Theater, and it's called um, The Family Blessing. The Family Breakfast? Yeah, The Family Blessing. Blessing, blessing. Okay. M-A-H-A-F-S-E-Y. So if you Google Mahaffey Theater, you should see that in the lineup of production. You should see The Family Blessing. The community production, and so you will not be disappointed. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So those are the kinds of things that you know we have to do. We have to keep those things alive. We've been doing this well; it's 19 years now. Well, we have an African dance um, company that's been that's been flourishing for 25 years, and we have kids all around the world now performing as a result of being in these these productions. I'm telling you, they get. They get bit by the bug, and it's the kindling of a flame that that uh, has them soaring all over the place. And they they inspire each other. They face you all the time, saying, "Oh, I'm in London. Oh, I'm here." And other kids say, "Hey, I want to go to London." Well, how are your grades? How are you doing in school? How's your behavior? Are you giving anybody any problems? Are you good? Okay, well then I can refer you. I can mention you. I can do things. So. You know, those are the kinds of things we have to do to, to 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 change things around because you know what? We don't have the perfect environment and, and sometimes you're in an environment that's trouble but you sometimes you have to create the environment you wanna be in. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing. That's right. That's awesome. Great Tim, you got any questions? Yeah, I'm just, I, I really don't have any questions. I'm just really in awe of, like, this whole thing that is that you guys have been doing. It's really awesome. It's a it's a great contribution to a, to the community, and I'm just really, like, excited about it. Well, you said early, you said early that you utilized the whole, the holistic uh, method in teaching the, uh, the children. Can you explain, can you break down that term for people? Because there's a lot of layman people that, you know, download the shows and everything. So can you break down the holistic approach? Uh, take a few minutes to break that down for me. Well, sure. When you're, when you're talking about holistic, you're talking about the whole part of the being, everything that affects the being. So you're talking about the mental aspects, you know, making sure that mentally – you have a nourishing environment that's helping the child to feel good about themselves, helping them to be inspired, helping them to learn. The physical environment, making sure that they're in, they're safe, they're eating properly, um, that they have good diets. They learn about the importance of diet. They learn about the importance of drinking water. Stay off those sodas. Stop eating all that candy. Stop sitting in front of the TV all day doing nothing. What about your exercise? Give them regular exercise routines and regimes. They're taking, I'm telling you, boys, girls, everybody, they take ballet, modern, uh, African, Brazilian, we teach them percussions, everything. And so we get them into the mode of stepping out of the little boxes that they've been in and teach them how to be resilient for your own life as you move forward. Don't be afraid to eat healthy. Don't be afraid to read about eating healthy. So we do the mental, the physical, the spiritual, whatever it is you, you're into and believe into, study it and, and be for real about it and not play games and understand the importance mm-hmm. of the connection between the creator and yourself. That is important. That is the first thing. Every day you wake up, that's the first thing you should do is thank 
the creator for allowing you to do that. Because guess what? You didn't wake yourself up. So that you need to know. So the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the esoterical. So we constantly, every opportunity is an opportunity for learning, opportunity for growth, an opportunity for them to understand that your whole, the whole element of your body has to be nurtured. And it's not just about, hey, I'm going to play football and I'm going to get a contract and I'm going to buy my mom a house and that's going to be my life. Yeah, football is a great thing, but it's not the end of the world. It's not the world of football. Hold on, let me say something. Hold on for one second. I got to stop again. Hold on. You're doing great. You hit that note. You're doing great. I was enjoying your conversation until you hear that one. Let me say something about football, basketball, track, and baseball. Let me say something. That's why I use that as an example. Let me say something about football. If it wasn't for if it wasn't for football, if it wasn't for football, a lot of my guys would be in prison. If it wasn't for football, if it wasn't for coaching, with me coaching them for 27 years, a lot of my guys would be in prison. So it's not just teaching. A lot of a lot of they're all coaches now, or a lot of coaches just worry about winning. But there are some coaches that work with young folk, young men uh, in this game. They try to keep them out of prison, try to make them good fathers, good husbands, and good men. That is a wonderful thing. Yeah, we all would like to, we all would love to have played in the NFL, but everybody knows at a young age, not everybody's going to make it to the NFL. But uh, the game had kept a lot of boys out of prison. Absolutely. And you know what? And you know what? Just like you said. There's no one thing that's a panacea. That's why it's so important to not have that tunnel vision and say, hey, this is the end-all, be-all. That is my point. Whether it's dance, whether it's football, whether it's, you know, racing cars, whatever it is, you have to look at life in a holistic term. Now you're going to get the race car drivers now, huh? Okay. So it's all so Well, let me say this one other thing. Let me say this one other thing. You know, like they say, uh, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So whatever it is, you start from where you are. That's your base. That's your comfort zone. That's where you're familiar with. That's the thing that you can contribute. Contribute that. You have a lot of people out here that have wonderful talents and skills, and boom, they just hold them on to themselves, or it's just about me, myself, and I. So we got to kind of come out of those zones and start looking at it's not just about me. It's about us. And well, that's what America teaches. America teaches you to be about yourself, me, myself, right. and I. That that's why right. you got a lot of people moving away from their families, moving away from their their, their the village they grew up in, and what have you, mm-hmm. and go somewhere in the middle of nowhere. They're the only black mm-hmm. person in the whole county, and they talk about mm-hmm. they have a right. <laughs> so they, 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 they America teaches that. Mm-hmm. That is true. That is true. And when uh, when you travel to other countries, you'll see a whole different world. I tell all my parents, I say, well, if you can, if I had the money every year, I take, I take a whole bunch of kids to Africa, and let them stay for a month, 
they would all mm. come back different people. They would be different. Yep. I know when I went as an adult, I came back a totally different person. First thing I did, I sat down and restructured my life and quit my job. The first thing I did. And then I said, I'm going to continue. I'm going back to school for my master's degree. And then I'm going to restructure. And that's when I was able to really immerse myself. Even though I had my 501c3, it really didn't catapult until I made that trip. Wow. Once I made the trip and came back, ew, that was it. I said, okay. I got I it. Ask you a uh, I, I want to ask a question about the motherland for a second. I've been reading some points that uh, that that a lot of parts. I know Africa is a, is a continent. It's vast. It's different dialects, uh, different culture within the African culture. Mm-hmm. I hear a lot. Of, I, I hear. I hear. But I don't know because I haven't been there. I haven't seen for myself. On the uh, go off of uh, different documentaries, uh, 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 writings. But I hear that Africa is really becoming westernized, and, and, and a lot of cultures are lo- losing their traditional ways. Is that true, or is it valid? Uh, well, from what I have experienced, that is very true. That instead really? of, you know, you got to remember, is they have cultures that have been around for thousands of years, and there's a reason why. I know. I'm right. going into the bush. I'm going into the bush and seeing mm-hmm. people 100 plus years old, no radio, no television, no modern conveniences. They have clay houses. I stayed in them. There was an area where you went to the bathroom. There was uh, that's where I learned to shower with three cups of water, and we had one meal a day, and that was the best meal ever, ever, ever. And we went out into the bush, and we had we had our cultural classes, and we danced. And I have never seen happier children in my life. I've never seen more fit, happier adults. I'm talking about in the bush. They're doing things the same way they've been doing them for thousands of years. Now, when you go into the mm-hmm. city, it's different. And a lot of people that come over here, they come with the quest of, oh, I'm going to America. I'm going to go where it's western. I'm going to make lots of money, you know, and – that's their focus, coming over here, making money, however I have to do it, and I want to pretend that I'm bigger. But they're losing, their, many of them are losing their way, which is why they have a lot of the conditions that they have in the country now, so on the continent now. So they need to definitely go back to the old way and strengthen themselves and unite as a continent. And you'll see this whole world change. I agree. More of, us went, more of us went there. See, I'm going in December so when once we start going there and getting to know, you know, the countryside and, and, and getting to know the people and the farmers and, and the people who are doing business there, we can even connect and do business. We can do business internationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one of my goals is, is to do business internationally with, with Sierra Leone and then possibly Mali. And um, so I'm, 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 I'm excited about my trip. And um, yeah. I, I just think that that's the answer for a, for a lot of us. You know, some, you know, like I said, like you said earlier, people have different beliefs on where they're from mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. what, what they believe, you know, even being black in America, they have different yeah. beliefs on, you know, some people are believe that they're indigenous to the land. Some people believe mm-hmm. that they came from Africa. And no doubt mm-hmm. we all are all mixed up. But mm-hmm. if we just get past the, the you know, the initial of, 
the differences and realize that we're more the same than we are different, we will oh, conquer yeah. the world. Oh yeah. We'll take mm-hmm. we'll take everything that was ever stolen from us, we will take it back. And that's what we mm-hmm. need to do. And I believe that even this program that um you, you guys have embarked on for so many years, this is this is a, a calling card to every mm-hmm. this for you know our youth we need to do this across Mm -hmm. the country for our youth you know so i just believe that if if whoever's listening to this show and can hear all Mm -hmm. the wonderful things that are going on just through um through performing arts that you know and whatever contribution you might have to the community make that contribution step out and make that contribution to the community because we need to take urgent action this is this is this, this is or this is urgent. We need to take urgent action because our youth we're using we're we're losing them, and we're losing yes. them to a system that don't care about them. That it's like eating them alive because we're all colonized. Every this these this nation has colonized the whole world. They have managed to colonize the whole entire world. So that's insanity. You know, it's because we gave them the power. So we have to take right. it back, and I and I just appreciate all your efforts in doing that. That's wonderful. I'm going to follow you guys. Well, thank you. And um, uh, in a few years, I'm not sure when, but I plan on moving to Georgia. And one of the first things everybody said, "Oh, you're going to bring that show." You don't want to move to Georgia. 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 I tell you, better pick another state. You don't want to move to Georgia. Well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be in the boom. Huh? Where my family is at, I have family up there in the boonies. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna yeah, do something. The whole state is boonies. But okay, we're a couple minutes left. We're a couple minutes left, Miss Hitchin. We like to end the show by saying something. Sure. Oh, would I like to? Yes. Um, yeah, Miss Hitchin. Yeah. Well, you. Your name is Hitchin, oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I said you were going to say something. I'm going to say something. Yeah. Uh, I thank you for having me today. I really enjoyed being able to have this conversation because it's one that, um, um, you know, we don't get the chance to have all the time. And I applaud uh, everything that you're doing regarding uh, communicating with the masses and getting the word out there and bringing information that is crucial, that's important and um, helping people to stay awake, that is so important. And I hope uh, you all come to the show to see an example of what our children, and I'm telling you, they do this in 12 weeks. So if they can do this in 12 weeks, what could we have our children doing in 12 years? Definitely hmm. way more than what you're doing right now. Rule so, the world. Um, Rule the I, world. I want to, yes. Rule so, the world. Um, I invite everybody to come on down uh, contact my happy theater to get tickets. The show is December 17th. It is called The Family Blessing. And you can go online, look us up. You can email me. And uh, any information you want or need, I'll send it to you. But the main thing is that we have more forums of this magnitude where we're communicating, we're finding out what's going on, we're partnering, we're encouraging each other, and that is how we come together unified and make a change and make a difference. Well, Ms. Henson, I really enjoyed you this evening. I'm I'm glad that you agreed to come on as a guest, and I, Mm -hmm. I really thank you, and I really want to thank you for your hard yeah. 25 years of services yeah. to the community. Wow. It might be more than 25 years, 
I'm just saying, you know. But I just want to thank you for your commitment. I want to thank you for your energy. I want to thank you for 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 spending time with our youth and, and the families. And 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 I really uh, uh, thank you for the bottom of my heart. Yeah, and we need more. We yeah. need more people like you. Just don't talk about it. So yeah, wonderful. I'm, like, I'm about to play my life. I'm tired of talking. I'm tired of talking. It's time to do. We've been. I've been talking <laughs> for too many years. It's time to do. Okay. So with that, I want to thank you. I, I want to thank you. Good night, Miss Henson. Good okay, night. Many blessings. To the show. All right. Same to you. Thank you. Blessings. Oh, okay. All right. Bye bye. All right, Tammy. Oh, that was great, Tammy, wasn't it? She's wonderful. Oh, oh, oh. oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah. 25 I years wish, of dedication. I wish I would have met her, like, in March and really prepared to go December. But if I don't make it this year, I'm going to make it next year. And I'm going to bring you know, um, a camera crew, too. You know, really, really do, do do it up, do a story on them, document the whole thing, the whole ball of wax. Absolutely. You can take that, me with you. you know, <laughs> yeah, well, you're in Cali. We're on the East Coast. You're on the West Coast. You know, I find know. Your own <laughs> we have to, I have to find go my own, own way. <laughs> my goodness. That's okay. I'll, I'll find my own way. <laughs> you might be living in Africa and whatnot. That's what you might be doing. <laughs> Well, I haven't planned to move there just quite yet. You know, I have some plans for Africa, but I, my residence won't be until I retire. So we'll see. Uh, oh, no, that's me. We'll, well, Tammy, this is another week. Uh, next week we'll be having Kay Nicholas Brown on the show. And uh, people, when you listen to the show, this is Black Urban America coming at you with Kenny and, well, when she do come on the show, and Tammy. <laughs> I'm in the Can house. Not <laughs> <laughs> because we are, we are because I am. Good night. Good night.